All right, before we get into our sermon text and uh, our sermon today, I want to go ahead and read you just a quick psalm. This is the 113th psalm. It begins with these beautiful words. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. All right, our sermon text today is Ruth 2. It's verses 8 through 16. Our sermon is called Bread in the Bread and Grace in the Field of Boaz. And uh, let me go ahead and read you those verses. This is uh, Ruth 2, verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge." Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. There's a lot of truth in the saying, the Lord helps those who help themselves. We live in a time where Christians have been taught that we can claim our way into prosperity. We simply snap our fingers and tell Jesus what we want, and he's going to do it. Or maybe that being a Christian implies that we should be automatically blessed with overflowing abundance. Quite often, those promises come along with hints that these blessings will be even bigger and better and more lavish if you give money to the person who tells you this type of stuff. But that's besides the point. The Bible never teaches these things. There is, even among the greatest figures in Scripture, hardship, trial, sadness, and death. If you want proof of that, just ask Jesus about the cross when you get the chance, all right? But there is also the truth that those who are industrious, who are hardworking, who are dedicated and honest, and who rely on God's already granted blessings of life, health, and ability will inevitably be further blessed. This truth is seen clearly in the main figure of the book of Ruth, a Gentile woman who bears that name. She's already proven herself faithful, dedicated, hardworking, and caring. And today we will see more noble qualities demonstrated by her. Humility, a subservient attitude, and a person willing to keep right on working without complaint. We'll also see that her honorable attributes didn't go unnoticed by a well-to-do and likewise noble person. 
because she was willing to reach out and to work in order to support herself and her mother-in-law, Ruth will be blessed for her efforts. It should be a lesson to us that we should be about our business as well, working hard, acting honorably, and doing so without complaint. These things will not go unnoticed by the Lord, and they will be repaid in due time. So let us trust this. Let's not claim worldly wealth and prosperity as if it's our expected due, but work for what we desire and honor God in the process. Our text verse comes from the 57th Psalm. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. We're not promised a life of ease. Calamities can be expected. This coming week is the anniversary of 9-11. Is something going to happen? Are people going to die? It sure happened, what, 13 years ago? And it could happen again. We don't know. All that we can do is just keep working through these things, honoring God as we go and serving the king, even if it involves tiring labor, which seems to be unrewarded. It is not. The reward is coming, and it will be astonishing when it does so. This truth is found in God's superior word. So let's turn to that wondrous book once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first of three thoughts today is verses 8 through 10, which is grateful Ruth. Verse 8 begins with, Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? We begin today with Boaz's first recorded words to Ruth. Instead of asking about how she likes Israel, or why she came with Naomi to the land, or any other type of small talk, the Bible records words of grace, exactly what she had sought after back in verse 2 when she said this to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. It was exactingly fulfilled in this verse right here. His words are, Halo shama'at biti. Will you not hear my daughter? They're a fatherly expression which would be used by an elderly man towards a younger woman. And his admonition is, Continuing verse 8, do not go to glean in the field, in another field. After her first day of gleaning, she might have decided to go into another field so that she wouldn't appear annoying or troublesome to the people around her by gleaning continuously in the same place. Boaz is telling her this is not a problem. In turn, his care for her is perfectly evident. She is undoubtedly of interest to him. We saw that in his words last week. They perfectly indicated that. And she's also the daughter-in-law of his deceased relative and of his widowed wife. It is his desire to show attention and care to her and thus to Naomi as well. Verse 8 continues, nor go from here. His words now are, Vegam lo ta'aburi mitze. He says, and also not go from here. This is not a repetition of what he just said. His previous words applied to moving to someone else's property. These words apply to the movement of those who are cutting the sheaves. He's directing her, and he's probably using hand motions in the process to go and glean directly behind those who bound the sheaves. She had probably been staying further back from the reapers and binders, but being close to the hired hands, she would have a much, much better chance of finding more food among the other gleaners in the field. His directions allow her to stay, to feel welcome during her stay, and to take full advantage of everything the law allowed for her without keeping back and letting others work ahead of her. He's giving her an equal standing with any Israelite who was also out gleaning. And I got to tell you, this is something that I take kind of personally because I see a lot of these people every day. She is not at all unlike the Mexicans, especially that we have in Florida. 
you know, they take care of all the lawns for people. They're very hardworking people, and a lot of them are here legally. A lot of them are here illegally, and I understand that. And that's something that we've got to work through as a people and as, you know, our government. But these that are here are here legally, are hardworking. They're generally very honest. They don't complain a lot. And, you know, you pass them by on the road, and they're dirty, and most people don't even say hello to them. They're wearing the same clothes that they were before the day before because they, they can't afford to go buy new clothes. A lot of the money that they make, they send back to their families in Mexico. That's why they came here in the first place. And if you think of Naomi and her situation, it's almost identical to these people. And I was thinking, you know, if I don't go to 7-Eleven a lot, but if you're in 7-Eleven and one of them's behind you, you know, and they're pulling out a dollar to buy their lunch for the day, just give an extra dollar to the people and say, you know, or $5 or whatever it is, pay for the guy behind me too. And just leave and don't even let him know that it was you. There are people, it, it's, it's showing respect to them just as Boaz is showing to Naomi. And if we can keep it in that perspective, then it starts to make more sense than just, oh, they're here, here illegally and they're taking away all of, all of our jobs and everything. It's it's an important thing to me because, like I say, I see these people every day. And I work at one mall. They're at the mall next to me. They're very friendly. They wave. And uh, I just keep trying to picture them as coming to a land to better themselves. And that's what she was doing as well. Anyway, verse 8 continues. But stay close by my young women. The word Boaz uses here for stay close is debak. It is the same word which was used when she clung to her mother-in-law, refusing her to allow to return to Israel alone. It's also the same word used in Genesis 2.24 when when it says that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. He's asking her to not depart from being near them as they work, binding the sheaves that were cut by the reapers. This was probably a way of ensuring that she would begin to make friends with the others as they work together as much as for anything else. He's tending to both her physical needs as well as her need for human interaction. Verse 9, let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. His words here, though seemingly obvious, are actually intended as a careful protection for her. As she was gleaning, she would be looking down and she'd probably not be paying attention to where she was going. If you've ever gone up like in the Northeast, they've got mountains and they've got blueberries all over the mountains. And so you start picking blueberries. You might pick yourself right off the path and you'll find yourself lost. Time can slip away and the mind can get inattentive, except to the task at hand. If she were to do this, she could actually wander off of Boaz's field and find herself on the property of somebody else who was far less sympathetic to gleaners and foreign gleaners in particular. And so he's ensuring that she pay attention and go directly behind the reapers while staying close to the women who bundled the sheaves. Now the words in these verses switch back and forth between the reapers and the women who are doing the bundling. And so it seems sometimes that the women are the reapers, but that's not the case. Instead, the reapers continue working in steady progression, but the women would be coming back and forth behind them, gathering the sheaves and carrying them to a central place. Each has a set task, which really isn't noticeable in the translation. Verse 9 continues, Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? These words here are a euphemism. To touch someone implies to hurt them. But instead, he says it this way to show that she will be completely safe. Not only will she be unhurt, but the reapers will leave her literally untouched as well. This form of speech where touching implies hurting another is found in the 105th Psalm, for example. Here's what it says. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones. 
and do my profits no harm. With such an assurance from the owner of the property, she would not fear in coming close to where the falling grain would be more abundant rather than staying back where it had probably already been mostly gleaned. Verse 9 continues, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Well, this here, I have to tell you, this here is an exceptionally kind gesture in and of itself. Water is heavy. I was in the wastewater business, and I know it's ingrained in my mind, 8.34 pounds per gallon. All right? It takes a lot of effort to draw up. You know, they would get it out of a well. And then after that, it's poured into containers, and it would have to be carried all the way to the field. And because of all of the effort, because of the heat of the sun and the fact that the water had to be carried in quite often, it's unlikely that gleaners would normally be allowed to have something which took so much laborious effort to bring in. The old saying, time is money, would ring true in the value of the water. All of the time and effort it took to bring the water to the field would be considered a part of what the owner would calculate into his profit and loss statement each day at the end of the day. Allowing Ruth to drink this water was truly a privilege of distinction. It would allow her to come to the field without carrying her own water, and it would make her day much, much easier to bear. And as a side note, and this is kind of touching, the well where this water was drawn, you have to remember, there were no taps out there at the field. There might have been one or two wells in an entire town. The well where this water was drawn was probably the same well where her great-grandson longed after during his uh, time fighting with the Philistines, which is recorded in 2 Samuel. Let me read this to you. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So there's the connection already, tying her to the great King David. Verse 10, So she fell on her face. To fall on one's face is the humblest form of reverence. It, it, you can't show any higher at this time in history. If to another person, it would be considered the highest civil reverence. If it is to God, then it is the highest form of religious reverence. The face is literally pressed to the ground, almost as if acknowledging, from this I came and to this I deserve to return. In her case, she was intimating that the kindness shown to her was far above the lowly position she possessed. Her immense gratitude is seen in the act of assuming such a position. Verse 10 goes on, bowed down to the ground. Well, this literally reads, and bowed herself to the ground. One can bow to the ground without falling on their face, but she did both at the same time. In a delicate and reverential way, she completely submitted herself to him in gratitude and thanks. These two actions, though described separately, form one united movement of astonished humility. Verse 10 goes on, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? The amazement in her words show how astonished she was. She was probably pondering a thousand possibilities all at the same time. Once again, as I said last week, the translation of the New King James Version lacks the force of the word chen, which she uses. They translate it as favor, but rather it means grace. It isn't just favor, but unmerited favor that she's acknowledging. In what she says, the words of Chris Christofferson from his song, Why Me, Lord, Come to Mind. And that's why I played that song before we had our service today, is because of these words and how they tie in with Ruth. So think of Ruth as I read these to you. Why me, Lord, what have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you've shown? 
anybody who has ever come to the foot of the cross and has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ must certainly have asked that same question. Lord, why have I found such favor in your eyes? After many years, I have to tell you, the question still perplexes me. I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll ask him, what is it that would make you look down with favor on one such as me? Verse 10 goes on, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. From a biblical standpoint, to take notice of someone means to show any form of kindness or respect, including affection. She not only acknowledges his grace towards her, but that it is grace towards a foreigner. As a Moabite, she was entitled to glean from the fields, but nothing more could be expected. Instead, he has lavished upon her grace and abundance, even more than she could have possibly imagined. Once again, the picture between Ruth and Boaz and us and Jesus should be painfully clear. As Gentiles, we're not even of the same covenant line as the people who, from whom he came. But the Apostle Paul explains that despite our foreign-born status, Christ has also lavished his grace upon us. Here are his words from Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to this. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As we progress through Ruth, we should be able to see ourselves represented by her because we have been shown this great favor and unmerited kindness and grace from the Lord Jesus. In this verse, there's an interesting paronomasia in the two words which are translated as take notice of me and foreigner. In Hebrew, take notice of me is nahar and foreigner is nahri. Because she is a foreigner and thus unknown, she's actually all the more noticeable. Kind of interesting how the Hebrew word or Hebrew uh, language gives us these words which actually show us little pictures of other things. Therefore, remember that you, as you realized, once Gentiles in the flesh by birth and not decision, you who are called the uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands this right, a sign which is perceived by eyesight, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, destined for hell. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away had been brought near by the blood of Christ, your debt he did pay. Our second thought today, the Lord repay your work, which is verses 11 through 13. Verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. His words translated as fully reported form an antique idiom. They're the words huged hugad, showed, showed. Somewhere along the line, since their return to Israel, and most probably from Naomi herself, Boaz heard that Ruth had come along with Naomi and of her tender care and love for her. It wasn't just a passing comment, but it was a tapestry of a fine description concerning her, as his words indicate right here. Though humble and willing to endure trials, privation, and an obscure life, notice was taken of her, and her commendation has come. It is reflective of the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6. Here's what he says. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret himself will reward you openly. 
Ruth now receives open praise for deeds which were quietly done in a corner and without the sounding of any blowing trumpets. Verse 11 goes on, and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth. In respect and love for Naomi, Ruth was willing to give up all of her childhood memories, her family, and the sweet smells and tastes which accompany life on home soil. This shows a depth of character far different than the vast majority of the people on earth. Instead of self-gratification and certainty of what would be a much easier life, she was willing to accept whatever her lot would be as she ventured with Naomi to the land of Israel. Her character is known by her actions. Verse 11 continues, And have come to a people whom you did not know before. The phrase from which the word before is translated is telmol shilshom, or literally yesterday and the day before. It's a primitive way of representing time past. Not only was the land different, and not only would the cherished memories of her youth slowly fade away, Ruth had come to a people whom she had no knowledge of at any point in her life. Her knowledge of Israel, and think of this, think of this, it was limited to that of her dead husband, her dead brother-in-law, and dead father-in-law, along with that of Naomi. And for them to go to Moab, it means that they had left Israel during a time of famine and hardship. All she saw about Israel was just calamity. So for her to return with Naomi after knowing all of this showed that she was willing to accept the people of Israel in a manner far differently than other foreigners would. Boaz understood that she was determined to not be a foreigner in a foreign land, but she was willing to be a foreigner in a new homeland. Though not an Israelite, she was willing to accept life as one. And that makes me think right now, we've got three pictures on that back counter of people that are supported by this church for who do missionary work. We've got a girl that just left us last month off to China, she went, and she's going to be a missionary there. She's actually, I don't think, supposed to be a missionary there, and I don't think they do anything other than deport her, but she's going there to spread the gospel of Jesus. And then we've got Ray and Jess Willett, who were here just a couple weeks ago during their time of training. And you think that but a couple years ago, you know, he was younger. They had just gotten married and he was talking about being a missionary. And I said, yeah, you should do it. And he said, oh, you know, it, what, if, what if something happens? And what if we have children? And all of these things were worrying them. And I said, you know what? The Lord has all of this under control. And eventually they decided we're going to be missionaries. And they're off at school right now finishing up. And they have absolutely no idea where they're going to. They may go to the coldest, most hard to live in place on the planet, or they may go to the jungles. They may go to an assignment where they're actually not supposed to be missionaries and they could die for the sake of Christ. And then we have the third person who is in a country that she's not allowed to be a missionary right now. So I'm not even going to give her a name, but she's there and she is willing to be in that country and to be a missionary for the cause of Jesus Christ and to tell people about him at the expense of possibly her own life. You know, right now, that country would deport her. I know what country she's in, and they would deport her. But it may change very quickly because it is a Muslim nation. And there she is doing these things. And I got to tell you what, my hat is off to these people. And they're not at all unlike Naomi. And so what is the thing that we should say to them? It's the same thing that Boaz is about to say to Ruth. Verse 12, the Lord repay your work. This phrase brings to mind the words of Jesus from Luke 18, 14, which says that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Ruth has humbled herself, and Boaz asks for her to be exalted and repaid by the Lord himself for her noble deeds. Now, the worst, 
a use of the word repay here does not mean that the Lord is in debt to her. Rather, he's calling for the grace of the Lord to be upon her and to be upon her abundantly. Verse 12 continues, And a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. It's almost certain here that Boaz had Abraham in mind when he said this. From First from uh, Genesis 12, verse 1, we read this. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, think of Naomi, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Abraham left his country, his family, and his father's house. And because of his faithfulness, we read this later in Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Avram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Avram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Boaz's words to Ruth here reflect the same sentiment that is seen towards Abraham. She had left her country, her family, and her father's house, and has acted faithfully towards Naomi. Because of this, he is asking for the blessing and the reward which Abraham received to come upon her as well. However, it is not a general blessing which Abraham received, but a specific one. It was a blessing which transferred to but one son, Isaac. And from Isaac, it transferred to but one son, Jacob, who is Israel. For this reason, Boaz asks for the reward to be by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. This is a specific blessing upon a foreigner who has come to participate in the covenant line and with the covenant people. Ruth has come for refuge under his wings. This is a sentiment repeated several times in the Old Testament, including this one from the 36th Psalm. How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Interestingly, the very blessing that Boaz pronounces upon her now is a blessing that will be fulfilled by the Lord through him in a detailed way in the time ahead. It is an exceptionally nice touch to be found in the book of Ruth. Verse 13, Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. Many translations say, I have found favor in your sight, instead of let me find favor in your sight. This makes a lot more sense because she then explains what she means in the rest of the verse. But the NET Bible does a great job of saying it in a way that is more understandable to the modern reader. They simply translate it as, you really are being kind to me, sir. She isn't asking for favor. She's already found it. But she isn't bragging about it either. Rather, she's acknowledging it in a grateful way. And the reason is found in the continuation of the same verse. For you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. His words have given her a new light of hope. Other than Naomi, she was alone and she probably wondered what source of joy she could ever expect. As a foreigner and a poor person, there was no true solace in dreaming about the great things to come. But then this stranger, through his comforting actions, had shown her an affection that she had not yet encountered. Likewise, she said that he had spoken kindly to her. The term she uses is alev, literally meaning to the heart. His words had transformed sadness into joy. They had given her rays of hope instead of thoughts of sadness and despondency. Her heart was comforted because of him, and she felt that none of it was deserved. Unlike his maidservants, she was a foreigner. They were hired hands. She was one who gleans. Their language was familiar. Hers probably sounded awkward. Their customs were known to him. Hers were strange and unknown. And yet he had spoken to her and treated her as if she were like them in his eyes. 
The heart of Ruth was encouraged by the owner of the harvest field. When you do a charitable deed as you're going, do not let it be that your left hand will know what your right hand is over there doing. Keep it a secret, yes, even so, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who in secret sees will himself reward you openly, because your actions him they did please. This is the mark of a humble and gentle soul, one who is willing to do what is just and right. So keep your pride always under control, and you will be ever-pleasing in God's sight. Our third thought today is the gracious hand of Boaz, verses 14 through 16. Verse 14 says, Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here, and eat of the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. When it was time for the reapers and gatherers of the sheaves to eat, Boaz made sure that she was included in the meal as well. Therefore, not only is he fulfilling the law by allowing her to glean and also showing kindness to her through his words and actions during the working time, he's also tending to her at mealtime as well. Does that make you think of anybody else in the Bible? Interestingly, according to John Gill, the Midrash, which is an ancient commentary on the book of Ruth, the Midrash gives an allegorical sense of these words and applies them to the Messiah and his kingdom and interprets the bread as the bread of the kingdom and the vinegar of the chastisements and afflictions of the Messiah. They then equate this meal with Isaiah 53, verse 5, which says, listen to this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Now remember, this is an ancient Jewish commentary which says that these words of Ruth are being applied to the coming Messiah. And there is no reason to not see this either. Jesus himself said that he is the bread of life. At his cross, as is recorded in all four Gospels, he was given the same type of sour wine which is mentioned in this verse right here in Ruth. Ruth's meal with Boaz here is prefiguring the person and the work of Jesus Christ in no small way. Especially we can discern this because after the bread and sour wine, we see the continuation of verse 14. Here's what it says. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied. There's a requirement in the law. It's recorded for the feast of first fruits. And there it says this, you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. First came the bread and the sour wine, and then they partake of the parched grain. Now the bread would have been from last year's bread, and we know that because the wheat harvest hasn't happened yet. So this has to be bread from the previous year. So we have the bread, and we have the sour wine, and then the parched grain. Understanding that the Feast of first fruits is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what brings sense and order to this verse. First came Jesus, the bread. Then came the cross, which is connected to the sour wine. And then came the resurrection. Only after this do we partake of the benefits of the harvest. Verse 14 continues, and kept some back. The parched grain that was passed to her was way more than enough for her to eat. Boaz was being extra abundant in generosity to her, knowing that she would need the meal if she hadn't eaten well of late, and also giving her enough for leftovers, which she carefully kept back for a special purpose. An obvious connection to us is that Christ has given us all that we could ask for and more. We have, whether we acknowledge it or not, we've been given abundance in life, in his word, and in his spiritual blessings. And so the obvious question for each one of us is, what will we do with the excess? 
Ruth has kept some back for a special purpose, which we're going to see in next week's verses. It is to give to Naomi, a poor and deprived Jewish woman. Are we willing to do the same for the spiritually deprived among us? Will we tell about Jesus or will we keep quiet? Verse 15, Then when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. So here's an additional hand of grace right here. Boaz tells his servants after her departure that Ruth should be allowed to glean even among the sheaves. This is an extra benefit that was being granted. If others were to do this, they would be carefully watched or simply told to move away from the reaping. The reason why is the grain is first cut and then it's gathered together into bundles, which would be uh, tied together. These are the sheaves. In this area, there would be an especially large amount of extra grain lying around because of the bundles. And, you know, they're combined, and as they're carried off, individual stalks might fall out. If gleaners were around this area, it would be easy for them to do what? They could steal right out of the sheaves. And so normally, they would be kept back until the sheaves were removed. And then they could pick up the abundant amount of grain that's left on the ground. But in the case of Ruth, Boaz has enough confidence in her to know that she wouldn't steal out of the bundled up sheaves. It is a true vote of confidence in her character and in her integrity. Verse 16, we finish with these words. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. As we finish today, there's a final demonstration of his care for Ruth and Naomi. She's been instructed to stay in the field of Boaz and to follow close behind the women who gathered the stalks into sheaves. She'd been granted protection from any harm which she uh, might face from laborers. And she's been granted all of the water that she needed from the laborer's supply. She was also granted the right to sit among the reapers, to dine with the laborers. She had extra food to take home and special permission to glean among the sheaves. And along with all of that, Boaz adds this final blessing upon her that she is unaware of. The reapers have been given their instruction to purposely let some of the stocks that they have in their hand fall to the ground for her. It would be like walking along the sidewalk and intentionally dropping money down on that sidewalk that a person was following, a poor person was following along behind on. As re the reapers cut, they would continue to grasp the stocks until their hand was full, and then they'd take that to where the sheaves were being bundled. In the midst of this process, they were to deliberately, not accidentally, drop some for Ruth. The entire scene that we see is a picture of the grace of God in Christ towards the Gentiles. He keeps us safely in his field of harvest. He allows us to work side along his own people. He grants us protection from harm, supplies with the water of life, bestows upon us a seat among his people at mealtime. He gives us an overabundance at the meal so that we're never hungry. And he allows us access to the riches of heaven itself with all of its superabundance. We have been granted exceptional care and many tender mercies by the Lord who loved us enough to go to the cross for us so that we could partake of heaven's meal together with him. God personally selected the details in today's verses to show us a minute glimpse of the immense care that he shows for those he loves. And it's all available to us, all of it, by a simple act of faith. Ruth showed faith in the God of Israel by clinging fast to her mother-in-law and in turn joining herself to him. We, by a mere act of faith in Jesus Christ, can likewise be joined to this wondrous God. If you've never come to know the fullness, the peace, and the contentment that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would ask that you allow me to explain to you how you too can be counted 
among heaven's roles and be granted eternal life through him. It's very simple. The Bible says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We have sinned. God is infinitely glorious. We're fallen. We're finite. And we can never again fellowship properly with God because of the sin that we have in us. We inherit it from our father as well, Adam. Adam sinned. And when he sinned, sin was found in all of his descendants through him. And so we just keep on living in sin apart from God. But God says that the wages of sin is death. That sin is what causes us to die. There's two types of death. You have spiritual death, which disconnects you from God, and then you have the physical death, which brings about your end. And if the spiritual death isn't corrected before the physical death comes, then you will be separated from God for all eternity. And so God did something marvelous by sending Jesus Christ to undo this sin problem in our lives. He was born of a woman and born of the Holy Spirit, which means he inherited no sin from Adam. Okay? And so he's fully God. He's fully man. He has no sin. And he's born under the law of Israel. He is now qualified to take the place of Adam. But he must first fulfill the law. And that's what the four gospel records are for us, to show us that he lived perfectly. He lived without sin. And then he gave his life up in exchange for our sins. Okay, how do we prove that? It's because he came out of the grave. The wages of sin is death. If he came out of the grave, then he had never sinned. He had defeated death. All right? So if you trust in Jesus Christ, you are allowing your sin to be judged in his cross. And that sin is forever taken away in Christ. And then you are granted eternal life through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are now in Christ and you are forgiven forever for the sins that you've committed in the flesh. So the Bible says that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I cannot save myself. I need you to save me. And then he will do that. He'll take away your sin. He'll grant you eternal life. And for all of eternity, you will be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You can never lose this salvation and you will spend eternity in the presence of God in a place far better than we are right now. So I would ask that you would do that today if you've never called on Jesus Christ. It's just to ask him to lead you to eternal life through the blood of our Lord and Savior. Our closing verse today comes from 1 John. It's the third chapter and the first verse. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful inheritance we have because of Jesus. Next week is Ruth 2. It's verses 17 through 23. It's called Gleaning Through the Harvest Season. That'll be our sixth Ruth sermon. And I'd like to remind you, I do this each week, is to tell you that the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. He knows your trials, your troubles, and your woes, and he is there with you through them. So cling to him and let him do marvelous things for you and through you. I have a poem and we'll be done for the day. This is called Bread and Grace in the Field of Boaz. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, not from this spot. But stay close by my young women here. You will be safe and shall have no fear. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. This you shall do. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink the water from what the young men have drawn. Do this too, won't you, my daughter? So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and to him said, Why have I found 
in your eyes this grace, such wondrous favor and not sternness instead, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner and thus unworthy. And Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, that calamity, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth also, and have come to a people, yes, another, whom you did not before know. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you too by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings for refuge have come you. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken to your maidservant a kindly word, though I am not like one of your maidservants, but unworthy. Now Boaz said to her at meal time, Come here and eat of the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. Come and feel free as I have said. So she sat beside the reapers, and parched grain to her he passed. And she ate and was satisfied, <clears throat> and kept some back, feeling full at last. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. This to you I am relaying. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her from your hand. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. This please understand. Boaz's care for Ruth is but a mere reflection of Jesus' care for us, Gentiles by birth. In him there is a spiritual reconnection, so that now we have new and eternal worth. Thank you, O God, for the wondrous love you have lavished upon us, and for the surety of life for eternal days. For you have sent us your Son, our Lord Jesus, and so to you we extend all of our praise. Yes, now and forever hear our praise, O God, from our hearts and souls, as in your presence we trod. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for this story of Ruth and the just the wonderful pictures that are in there that point to a greater salvation for all the Gentile people of the world. Israel is in your covenant and the Gentile people can be brought into it too. And all Jew and Gentile are uh, accepted by you by a simple act of faith. And without that faith, we can never have what we are, are intended to have by you. So please, humble hearts, call people to yourself and help them to make the right decision that you, in fact, do have a good plan and a purpose for the people of the world if they're simply willing to just open their hearts and receive it. Lord, I pray for each person here that uh, they would uh, go home safely, that they'd have a good and blessed week ahead, and that you would take good care of them and bring them here once again next week. And Lord, anybody that's on YouTube, if they're having trials or troubles or stresses in their life, I would ask that you would uh, be with them and comfort them as well. And we'll be sure to give you praise and glory and honor for all these things. And we'll do so in the name of our exalted Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.